0: comes from Psalms. Our passage today comes from the Psalms, chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. We're continuing uh, today and next Sunday a theme that we uh, went through over Christmas looking at the nature of God. We saw... That God is different from anything or anybody else that we can imagine. In fact, He is beyond imagining. He is three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, so intimately connected, so self-giving, so generous of each other's dignity and worth that three become one. And we looked at what it meant that God was Father. What does it mean that God is son as we celebrated Christmas? What does it mean that God is a Holy Spirit? Last Sunday, we looked at God's holiness, the aspect of God that is the sum of his difference from anybody or anything else. Only God is holy. It means set apart, radically different to anything else that is, self-defined. Today, we're going to look at God's uh, omnipotence. That means God's almightiness the fact that in God resides all power, and next Sunday, God's omniscience, the fact that God knows everything. These are the attributes of God, once again, that show that God is not like us. God is not some imagined, huge, powerful person. God defines spirit. God defines holy. God defines and is the source of power. And we're looking at David here, uh, one of David's psalms. David wrote many of the psalms. He was a musician and a poet. And David spent a lot of time reflecting on God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. David was a shepherd. He was the youngest of a number of brothers, And he was the one that was sent out to take care of the sheep. So he would have spent much of his life out on the hillside alone with the sheep, contemplating life during the day with this magnificent Mediterranean sun and infinite blue sky as companions. At night, an astonishing array of stars. The glory of creation every night as he was by himself in the dark, thinking about who he was and what was his relationship with what he was looking at. You know, I had thought I knew what stars were. You know, some of you know, uh, I've done a fair amount of sailing since college. And you get out in the ocean, away from the cities, and you see the stars in an amazing way. In fact, you learn to recognize some of them, to navigate by. But it wasn't until last February I went down to the southern hemisphere to New Zealand The South Island is only a thousand miles from Antarctica and down in the Southern Hemisphere there's no industry. On the Southern Island there are no um, big cities. And so to go out at night and to look up is the most astonishing thing that I've seen. I thought I knew the night sky but I didn't. The Milky Way is called the Milky Way for a reason. It looks like a creamy mist over half the sky, dominating. I mean, it just stands out so much. Mars really does have a tint of red. It stands out amongst the other stars. Glory seems such a tiny word to describe what you're seeing. The vastness of it, the astonishing amount of it, the beauty of it, the transcendence of it. Day after day, They pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. From the time you first see the night sky as a child, even though you might know nothing else about the world, even though you might be in some tiny little small corner of the world, you are put on notice when you see that vast beauty that there are wonders and awesome powers at work in our world. The stars tell us every night. The sun, the moon, the vastness of creation. I think it's no accident that most of the people that you meet in the Bible, in the early part of the Bible, are shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd, the man of faith. His sons, Isaac and Jacob, became shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. For 40 years, he, he was a shepherd in the wilderness before God appeared to him in the wilderness at the burning bush. And, of course, David, the great shepherd. Shepherds could not get away from God's glory. They could not get away from the reality of God. It was there every night, seeing of God's power and his beauty, his magnificence, his abundance. You know, Skeptics of Christianity and people of faith will often say that people drift away from faith because they become more educated, they become more sophisticated, they develop a scientific worldview, um, and so that Christianity doesn't have power on them anymore. But maybe it's just that we've built such big cities and filled the night sky with such pollution and so much unnatural light that we've merely succeeded in hiding God's glory from ourselves and from our children. You know, the people who think about it, the astronomers, the cosmologists, the astrophysicists, they recognize that what's visible in our skies points to something bigger. There was a remarkable article in Wired magazine by a journalist called Greg Easterbrook, and he put this, he said this. Look up into the night sky and scan for the edge of the cosmos. You will not find it. Nobody has yet. Instruments such as the Hubble Space Telescope Deep field scanner have detected at least 50 billion galaxies. And every time the equipment is improved, more galaxies further away come into focus. All this stuff, enough to form 50 billion galaxies, maybe fantastically more, is thought to have emerged roughly 14 billion years ago in less than a second from a point with no physical dimensions. Set aside the many competing explanations of the Big Bang. Something made an entire cosmos out of nothing. It is this realization that something transcendent started it all, which has hard science types using terms like miracle. You cannot look for a long time at the wonders of the heavens and think this just popped into existence. This was just an accident. There's too much of it. It's too extraordinary. We and the world we inhabit is too extraordinary. They have no speech. They use no words No sound is heard for them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. It is God's transcendence, his beauty, his power and glory and creativity, his goodness, all being revealed constantly to all of creation. You have to spend a long time locked up in a master's or PhD program before you can deny the reality of God. Because all the world screams his name. Now, am I saying that we should believe the Bible and what it says about God because of what science is discovering? No. But the fact that the Bible tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that the heavens declare his glory, tells us that the things that God has made are worth investigating, paying attention to, talking about, enjoying. Old theologians used to talk about the book of nature, that is, the book of creation, authored by God that reveals who he is, but also the book of scripture. The same author explaining in detail who the one who made the heavens really is and what he's about. So I told you this sermon was about God's power, God's omnipotence. What does that mean? Well, omni means everything. It's the word that means all. And potency, power... To call God omnipotent means that God has all power. And that is demonstrated by the fact that God creates everything that is with just a word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light, and there was light. That is power. God creates everything that is out of nothing. That's what's so challenging to the cosmologists and the astrophysicists. Where did it come from? The Bible says it came, its source is God's own power. That is why God is omnipotent, because he is the source, the reason for all the power that is. It depends on him. You don't get more powerful than the source of all power. And that's what the Bible is saying. It's the reason that if you read through the Bible... God continuously is referred to as God Almighty or Lord God, Lord God Almighty or Lord Almighty. God's power is a defining fact of who he is. Having all the might, all the power that there can be. That's who God is. Isaiah puts it this way. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. When I said last week that holiness is God's set-apartness, he is set-apart because he can do such things. God's omnipotence is the reason that everything else that he is works together. God's holiness, his goodness, his justice, his love are only possible because God is omnipotent. And that's what makes him worthy of worship. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelations, all, the, all Christians of all times and all places are gathered around the throne, and this is what they sing. You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Without God, there is nothing. And therefore, everybody and everything owes its existence only to God. And that's God's worth. In worship, what Christians do is lift up the worth of God and say, look at this. Look at this God. Pay attention. What's his worth? Well, there are many things. But first... He made us. He made all things because he's omnipotent. So what? You know, oftentimes uh, I get excited about theology and I talk to people about theology and they're like, well, that's great, Pastor, but, you know, I got to go to work tomorrow and my boss hates me. Um, This is all very interesting. The sky is big, the stars are beautiful, I don't get to see them often. God is omnipotent. But on Monday morning I have to work. There are things to do, there are bills to pay. There are plans to be made, there are things I've got to take care of, people I'm responsible for. What's omnipotence of God and the starry heaven got to do with my life here in Hoboken, Monday morning, tomorrow? Well, God's omnipotence is the reason that you can trust him. It struck me when I first read the Bible. You know, I was a literature major before I read the Bible in any sustained way. And it was the first book I'd ever come across that made a claim that I thought was outrageous. You know, you start with the Genesis and it, it looks back and a lot of books look back and tell you about what went on in the world. But then you get to the book of Revelation, and it tells you the future. It reveals what's going to happen. It tells you about the end of the human story. That's outrageous. I had never come across a book that claimed to be able to do that. Or not even claimed to be able to do it, just went ahead and did it. And it demands that God have certain qualities. He must not only know the future, but be able to guarantee the future. Again in Isaiah. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand And I will do all that I please. What I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned that I will do. It's hard to make a promise about the future. People, circumstances, our lives change. You know, I might say to you, and I have, let's meet for lunch tomorrow, let's have a cup of coffee. But something might come up. I might get sick. The the subway may or the path may stop running and you can't get to me and I can't get to you. When we say, I meet you tomorrow, what we're saying is, I hope that we'll get together tomorrow. If nothing intervenes, we'll get together tomorrow. It would be great if we could get together tomorrow. I promise to pay you back, but I might lose my job. I might get sick, I might get fired, I might get robbed. I'd really love to pay you back, and if I can, I'm gonna try and do it. But really, it's a hope. I promise to love you forever. It's a beautiful thing to say to somebody. But lives change, lives drift apart, hearts grow cold, people get old and boring. What you're saying is, I hope that we stay in love. Tomorrow. This is not true about God. God is all-powerful. Omnipotence. God knows all things. Omniscience. We're going to look at that next week. What happens when you put those two together? You have a God who can make promises. God doesn't say, I hope things are going to work out. The book of Revelation is not, well, this would be great if it happened. An omnipotent, omniscient God can make this happen, and therefore he can make promises to you and me about what's going to happen. It is the reason that God can be faithful. You know, Christian faith is not faith in ourselves. It's not faith in the world. Christian faith is faith in God's faithfulness. And his ability to be faithful is grounded on his omnipotence. He can get it done. He knows how to make it happen. And there is nothing to stop him once he decides to do something. Because there is no other power on heaven and earth that can oppose God because he is the source of all power. One theologian put it this way. The power of God... Is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases. Whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct. And whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. As holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfection of the divine nature. How vain would the internal counsel be if power, if power did not step in to execute them? Without power, his mercy would be a feeble pity, his promise an empty sound, his threatening a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, Eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated. That's why we worship. You know, in the 80s, there was a book, uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, by Harold Kushner. And it was a bestseller, four million copies, you know, and an inspirational classic. No, it wasn't. It was the fluffiest kind of nonsense sentimental pap because the premise of the book was yes God loves you, yes God is good but you know it's a big complicated world and he just, sometimes he lets things slip through he can't be expected to be there for everybody all the time it's a big universe he wants to protect you, he wants the best for you but he just, sometimes he can't like an anxious parent God stays up at night worried about you, hoping the best for you, loving you. But when the boogeyman strikes, you're all on your own. That is a lie straight from hell. That is a lie. Your God, my God, is omnipotent. The boogeyman don't stand a chance against such a God. This is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What does that mean? It means that the world is not some chaotic unfolding maelstrom of chaos. There is a plan. God is omnipotent. God sits on the throne of the world. The world only exists because of him. Everything and everybody in the world only exists because of him. The world is unfolding just as God wishes it to. There are no surprises. There's no chaos. There's no plan B. The Lord Almighty is in charge. That's why he can say, once again, by the way, most of these quotes are from Isaiah, a great place to go to look look at God's potency. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely, as I have planned, So it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? There is a plan, and there is an Almighty God... Who can thwart him? No accidents, no chaos to fear. If God is with you, who can be against? And because of God's omnipotence, you can plan for your life. You can build a life on God's promises. You can have faith in what he says to you and to your family. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yes, it's a broken world. Yes, bad things happen in this world to God's people as well. And God is all-powerful. And he seeks and wills and accomplishes your best, your best possible life. He walks with you every step of the way, every moment of your life, you and those that you love. Because he's faithful, because he's omnipotent. And really, the Christian life is learning to live that reality out. Recognizing that God is at work in the world. Recognizing that it all belongs to him. You know, repeatedly... The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for a long time that just kind of passed over my head as like, you know, that sounds cute, that sounds that's a pithy maxim, sounds great. But it's repeated again and again through the Bible. There's a reason for that. If this is God's world, and if God is all powerful, And if God has a plan for this world, then it is not wise to base your life or your plans on anybody else or anything else other than God. The fear of the Lord, that is the recognition of God's awesome power, his almightiness, his holiness, his perfections, that is the beginning of wisdom beginning because life is the journey of making that truth the reality of your life the heavens declare the glory of God we can know about the fact of God but wisdom is applying that knowledge daily to constructing a life that is lived on that truth that is as its foundation built on the fact that God is real, that God is God has a plan, that God created you, that you belong to Him, and that He walks with you. Paul put it this way: Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing, and perfect will. That's the Christian life. Like everybody else, we grow up shaped by our world. Not primarily by the fear of God, but the fear of all kinds of things in our world. The world tries to conform us to its pattern. It's so ingrained in us. Think of how many stories, how many advertisements, how many movies, how many pieces of music, how much lyrics, other people's ideas in your head calling for your attention, trying to make you think and believe and feel what they want. That is the pattern of the world when it's not based on God. But when you base your life and your habits of mind on God's truth. That's how you get to know the Creator. That's how your life will conform to his will. New patterns, new ways of thought, new habits, new relationships, grounded and energized by God. If you don't fear God, you're going to fear something else. The world, other people circumstances, events in the world. And what is the world saying to you? You're on your own. Work, struggle, fight, because the devil will take the hindmost. Make money, be successful, don't screw up ever. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll be like the 1%. Shiny, happy people, beautiful, rich, Able to do anything they want, apparently. Spend your time with nice, clean, successful people. Stay away from the poor. They've got bad habits. Stay free from the weak, the tragic, the suffering. Stay away from people who are not on their way to the 1%. They'll drag you down. They probably deserve where they, they, are, they are right now anyway. And anyway, they've probably got a disease. Stay away from them. That philosophy, it works for some, it can work for a while. It's the motivation for much of what happens in New York City. But does it sound like the God who is revealed in the Bible? The heavens. Extravagant, outrageous, inexhaustible, creative, an abundant gift, like all of life, like each one of us, like our world. The Bible. If you read it, it's primarily about shepherds and slaves and alien wanderers and oppressed outcasts and sinners. It's a motley crew. They're not beautiful people. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's probably the most outrageous thing the Bible says. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God, his power, his beauty, his justice, his holiness. Why? Why? Would that God become humble, become vulnerable, become weak like one of us? Why would he do that? Who would do that? I think for most of the time, for most people, it is utterly unexplicable. Even for most Christians. You know, my experience as a pastor is that for 80, 90 plus percent of the time, Christians behave just like everybody else. Most of their life, like most people's, is based on their own abilities, their strength, their talents, their power. It's not until those things fall apart that you recognize that you need a God who, though omnipotent, is also loving enough to give it all up to come to find you. What changes? There's a power outage in our life. We recognize that we do not have power. We do not control what is happening to us. By the way, uh, a pastor once told me a great way of analyzing yourself spiritually is to look at what makes you angry. Because anger is is frustrated omnipotence. Like a two-year-old child, you want to get what you want. And when the world does not give it to you, you get angry. You want omnipotence so that you can get whatever it is that you desire whenever you desire it. By the way, that makes me a little bit angry. Um, Look at your anger, and look at what it reveals about you, the true power in your life. But for most people, they're cruising along happily, sufficient unto themselves. And then suddenly, something changes. You get a call from the doctor that there's a lump, or a shadow, or a test has come back. Or you're suddenly given a pink slip at work, or an exit interview. Or when the person you trusted most says, I don't love you anymore. Suddenly the power, the control, the independence is gone. And that is when you know that you need a God who would give away power to confine you. Not only that, who could bring you to a place where you'll never be betrayed again. The heavens declare the glory and majesty, omnipotence of God. Jesus reveals that powerful God, that omnipotent God, who is willing to be vulnerable to come alongside us, who is willing to himself give up everything, so that he could be there when we need him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, this is Jesus talking, for my power, is made perfect in weakness. And I can't prove this to you, but I think every Christian needs that moment of weakness, needs to recognize, get even just a glimpse of that weakness before they can fully accept God. Put your faith in him rather than yourself. Build a life on him, not on anything else in the world. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that is the Christian life. Learning the truth of that verse, that is what, that's what wisdom looks like. That's what the Christian journey looks like. That's what being a disciple and following Jesus as our shepherd looks like. In a moment, then we're going to go to the Lord's table where we reenact Christ becoming weak for us and sharing himself with us. But as we approach, I'd like to read you another psalm. This is Psalm 16, one of my favorite psalms. And as I read the words, it's all about depending on God and trusting Him his um, good purpose for our life. As I read the words, what words are triggered in you? What thoughts are triggered in you? What fears are triggered in you? What do you need to claim at the table this morning to address those fears? to trust God, to turn away from whatever it is that is distracting you. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also rests secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life, you fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lord, we thank you that you are omnipotent because that means you can be faithful and we can trust your promises to us. And Lord, we thank you that to hold on to us, you are willing to give yourself away, all your power and all of your glory. Make yourself vulnerable. Make yourself one of us. Travel even to the grave in our place. Lord, we can scarcely comprehend what that means. And yet, you're willing to do it. Lord, teach us to follow you, to trust in you, to base our life on you, to trust in your promises, because you, Lord, are omnipotent. And we thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship right now, we're going to receive an offer.